Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to this week's episode of the IT Career Energizer podcast. I just wanted to take a moment to mention a couple of things. If you haven't visited the website recently, it may be worth your while to pop across and check out itcareerenergizer.com. If you haven't been there for a while, you'll see that we've completely redesigned the website and very much hope that you find it much more intuitive and usable. Secondly, we're coming up towards the 300th episode of the show, and it's the ideal opportunity to review how the podcast started, where it is now, and where it's going. So I'm beginning to think about what we're going to do with the podcast after it reaches episode 300. If you have any thoughts, I'd be delighted to hear them. I'd also like to ask that you make sure you're subscribed to the show. And if you enjoy it, tell others about the show so they can subscribe. As far as today's episode is concerned, I've managed to get on a guest that I've been hoping to bring onto the show for quite some time. If you're a Python enthusiast or thinking about getting started with Python, this is a great episode to listen into. So without further ado, here's this week's episode. Welcome to episode 289 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is a professional developer who teaches programming to kids and adults. As well as being a speaker at Python conferences, he has written several best-selling programming books for beginners, including Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, Invent Your Own Computer Games with Python, Cracking Codes with Python, and Coding with Minecraft. So it's my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Al Swigert. Hello, thanks for having me. So, Al, that was very much a, a view of of your your sort of your Python interests and in your books. But could you perhaps tell us a little bit about what you're up to at the moment? So, right now, I've just come out with Beyond the Basic Stuff with Python, which is sort of a book aimed at the intermediate level. I think there's there's a lot of beginner tutorials out there, and then there's uh, plenty of books and materials for advanced users. But there's this part where a lot of people are learning to program and they understand the syntax. And, and they understand basic coding concepts. But when they sit down to actually write a piece of software to do something, they're sort of left staring at this blank editor and, and not really knowing, so, you know, sort of how, how do real programmers write code? And there's, there's this large anxiety about that, where it's like, am I doing this the right way? And so I tried to write a book that, that tackles that head on so sort of aiming at that intermediate crowd and it took me a long time to sort of figure out what would go into a book like that especially something that revolves around python because i still wanted to to stick with python since that's my area of expertise and yeah the uh the book went through several changes i looked back on the the original github repo or the git repo that i set up for it and i started this about three years ago um yeah and then the the writing really all came through in in the last year or so um but yeah so now when people say i've read automate the boring stuff with python what should i read next i finally have an answer for them 
<laughs> yeah, so I was just about to ask the question, actually. So that is a natural follow-on from the Automate the Boring Stuff with Python book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I've I've finished the book. It's out now, and right now I'm working on um, an online course that sort of follows along with the book's content, just for people who would rather prefer to at least uh, get an introduction to the book by watching someone work through the code in it and, and cover the concepts there. Sure. So I'm aware of your YouTube channel as well, and I know you've done a number of videos that support your book. So that, that will be similar content, presumably. Oh, yeah. The the online course uh, doesn't really cover as much as the book does. And in fact, the, the videos for the course are more <laughs> of an advertisement for the book than anything. But a lot of people have reached out to me saying that they appreciate uh, seeing somebody, it's it's all just screen uh, recordings, but actually seeing somebody type the code in just to get that reassurance that they're doing things the correct way when they're making their way through the book. Exactly. I think people do we're learning different ways, don't they? And, and, and different forms of content can, you know, can really help sort of make sure those ideas and those learnings actually sink in and are understandable. So I think that's a really good way of doing things. Yeah. Okay. Al, can you maybe share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Oh, um, <laughs> this is something I definitely wish I had known um, uh, when I first started out. Um, I was I was fairly fortunate to, to do the fairly straightforward path of majoring in computer science uh, for college and getting my degree in that. But even, you know, no matter uh, if you have a degree or what you have a degree in, uh, I really wish somebody had explained that the, the requirements that people have for IT and, and software developer jobs, you know, they'll say that they have like a hard requirement of five years experience with such and such. Um, but really, you can mostly ignore that. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, if you're a junior developer, you shouldn't just sign on for some advanced senior position. Um, but, you know, don't don't automatically disqualify yourself just because you don't have experience in this one particular uh, area or with this one piece of software or something like that. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of times these requirements are list are written up more by HR or by management or and, and they may or may not be reflective of the actual career. So don't let that discourage you uh, in, in your job search. Yeah, I think that's a really good good point. I think you'll find, I mean, from my experience, I've seen job descriptions that are that are so specific and probably um, <laughs> the ideal candidate may not even exist. It, it's that sort of situation. So they're looking at the best best that they can get for the skill sets they're advertising for. But yeah, yeah as you say, there's no reason, if you've got sort of 70, 80% of the skill set yourself already, there's no reason why you shouldn't apply. Yeah. In my more cynical moments, I'll say that most tech companies are are looking for 20-year-olds with 30 years of experience who will work for $10 an hour. That's, that's their <laughs> yeah. ideal candidate. Yeah. Yeah. Usually with a technology that's been around for two years and asking for five years experience, it's those sort of things, isn't it? That's Yeah. That's a classic joke that, that keeps coming up again and again. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Right. So, Al, can you share with us your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience? Oh, yes. Uh, fortunately, this happened. This wasn't very uh, large stakes. Uh, this happened when I was uh, at an internship. And there was a, a web application where it's a simple calendar for uh, the client's uh, website. 
and I was making modifications to the SQL database that the calendar pulled all of its information from. And I accidentally, uh, I was typing the uh, delete query out to remove some old listings, and I forgot to type the where clause. Uh, so I accidentally deleted everything from the calendar, and um, I didn't have a backup so of, of any of that, and no backup really existed. Uh, fortunately, I was able to find some, some old saved web pages, and so I could manually copy a lot of the calendar events <laughs> back in. And I don't think anybody ever found out about that. But uh, Right, so a bit of a, a reconstruction yeah, yeah, this, <laughs> of the database. This was a, a big uh, lesson to me of don't really just work directly on the production database and also make a backup of any data that you're messing with before yep. you start messing with this. I have a part in Automate the Boring Stuff with Python where I recommend um, just creating a backup of, of any files that you're working on when you're writing a script that works on these files. And also just uh, maybe commenting out the code that actually does the, the file deletions or the file renamings. Um, just and then just do a dry run. Uh, just add some print statements in there instead, just so that you can see what it's doing, and then uh, do a for real run. Um, I feel like a lot of people who are who are learning to program are really worried about breaking their computer, and for the you know ninety nine percent of the time you won't. Um, you know your program can crash. It it's going to be fine. Um, but once you start uh, actually making changes to files on your hard drive or making changes to a database, that's when it can become a, a little bit risky. Indeed. Yeah. That's when you need backups. Definitely. Ways to restore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was, I think I did that mistake with the calendar database, like first thing in the morning. And so the rest of my morning was just sort of panicky, uh, <laughs> like trying to find all the uh, events that were originally on this calendar and my coworkers asked if I wanted to go out to lunch with them. And I was like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm busy, uh, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe tomorrow or later. <laughs> yeah. So presumably it was only a matter of hours it was out for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's It wasn't, I don't think anybody even noticed, uh, <laughs> fortunately. So this wasn't that high stakes, but um, was a very important lesson. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move on now. So could you perhaps tell us about your career highlight to date? Uh, really, I think it's it's automate the boring stuff with Python. Um, I I remember uh, writing in my diary, uh, and I was just going back through that one day, and I saw one entry from when I was writing that book, and I said something like, "I have no idea if this is going to be a worthwhile project at all," and then it turned out to be this this huge uh, success that I'm I'm still astonished by uh, how many people. We'll I'll talk about Python with them, and they'll bring up uh, the book that I wrote. Um, so, and you know, I I don't mind that. That's sort of even if that turns out to be the the peak of my career. That's now in the past. I I still feel pretty genuinely proud of of producing that. It's it was a lot of of luck and fortunate happenstance, and a lot of hard work as well. But uh, the fact that all that all came together. Um, I'm I'm just really glad that I was I was able to write something and release it under a Creative Commons license, so it's free for other people to read online, and and really help them with with their careers. 
Yeah, so you obviously you just mentioned the fact that it's available free online. Can you maybe just point people in the right direction as to where they can get, get access? Yeah, it's uh, the website is inventwithpython.com. You'll find uh, all, of, all of my books I've released under a Creative Commons license. Uh, so it is free to download and copy and share with others as well. Yeah, and, and alternatively, presumably you can get the, the hard copy, if you like, from um, yes. Amazon and, and whoever it may be. Yeah, and uh, nostarch.com uh, for No Starch Press uh, is the publisher of it. I really recommend them because if you buy a print book through them, uh, you also get the ebook copies for free, right? As yeah. well, so that that really helps when you just want to control F and find some particular part in it. But but a lot of people still do prefer just holding the paper book in their hand. Still, yeah. So, do you know how many copies have been accessed, downloaded, and sold? I think between um, the number of print copies and ebook copies are uh, about the same, and. I have this information. <laughs> I'm gonna just look <laughs> nearly up. at your fingertips. <laughs> yeah, I think it is uh, over a quarter million. Wow, uh, print and ebook copies uh, sold. Yeah, that's that's interesting to hear. So I heard a stat today that the average book that is published typically only sells or sells no more than a thousand copies. So to be at <laughs> what quarter of a million? Yeah, that is phenomenal. That is some some outcome. <laughs> yeah, and then on top, there's I get tens of thousands of of visitors to the website as as well, and um, it's it's just really amazing how the internet uh, makes it so easy to just share this information once it's once it's created. I pay about fifteen dollars a month for my web host, and even if I had ten times the amount of traffic, I still wouldn't hit the bandwidth limits. It's um, it's just it is it always it never fails to astonish me um. <laughs> good right so al what excites you about the future of the it industry and careers in it in particular what's really great is how much more accessible it's becoming um especially with languages like python and and new tools that are aimed at making programming easier to do um, and just more awareness that that programming is something that you don't have to be a rocket scientist in order to do. It's it's something that a hobbyist can do, or just any office worker can learn a little bit of scripting or coding, and be able to produce practical little programs that can actually help them with their job. It's um, when I when I was learning how to program uh, as a kid in the '90s, I basically had about two books that I found in the school library that sort of helped me, and and then I also had the uh, the the manual for the basic programming language, which I couldn't make heads or tails of at all. It was it was just a very like a, a technical document that was more reference than anything, and. And I wanted to learn how to make Super Mario Brothers on the computer, but this did not help me at all to to do that. But uh, these days, you know, we we have Google and Wikipedia and Stack Overflow and lots of YouTube tutorials and things like that. And it's I, I see that trend continuing um, with the programming tools geared towards kids to help them learn programming concepts, things like Scratch, that are that are still 
they're not like dumbing down uh, programming. These are actual programming tools, and but they're also being made much more accessible to to more people. Okay, we're going to move into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Okay. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? Nintendo. Um, the 8-bit Nintendo uh, that my sister and I got for Christmas uh, with Super Mario Brothers and uh, and The Legend of Zelda. And I feel like video games and is a really common path into programming for for a lot of kids and it certainly was for me and and that's sort of the approach I take for with a lot of my books as well and what's the best career advice you've ever received don't be afraid to give bad news uh especially early on uh, I think one of the sort of a moment where I realized that I was actually becoming a professional was when I was sitting in a meeting um, this was one of my first jobs after college, and the project manager was asking when this feature that I was working on would be done, and the deadline was in a week, and I knew that it was going to be late, and so I said, it's going to be three weeks. And the project manager pushed back, is like, well, could could we maybe get that done by the deadline? And and I stood firm, because you know if, if I told him what he wanted to hear, I would just be telling him a week later, yeah, actually, it's going to be two weeks late. Um, just from all of the work that I had done previously, I knew like, well, it's going to need another three weeks, actually. And, you know, I was, a lot, uh, I was proud of myself for telling him that then instead of once we were actually on the deadline itself, it's like, oh, yeah, there's going to be another two weeks. So, so even though it was, it was news that he didn't want to hear, um, and and it also sort of reflected poorly on me because uh, you know it was just uh, getting behind. It was in the long run the the right call to make uh, to inform him of this. Yeah, I think there's there's a useful thing to come out of that, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, but I think when you do deliver bad news, it's often very useful to have the, the justification understood you know you can actually explain exactly why and what the reasons are and the timescales behind it to sort of to sort of make sure that they understand otherwise you do inevitably get the pushback um or right. someone will just say um yeah oh no no we can deliver it don't it won't be a problem um but if you know and you've got the reasons and you can articulate that clearly um then you're in a much better position yes exactly um, slightly more difficult question, perhaps. What is the worst career advice you've ever received? <laughs> uh, okay, this this might draw uh, some uh, fire from me, uh, some fire on onto me. But uh, probably the worst career advice I ever received uh, was that I should go to grad school and get a master's degree in computer science. Um, this was a person who had who had nothing but good intentions for me, but for my particular career path, that wasn't uh, something that would have been beneficial to me. Um, uh, it's it's sort of it's. I feel grad school is very useful if you know what you want to do that requires a graduate degree. But if it's uh, especially for for IT uh, and software development in in general, if you just feel like you need to get a master's degree just to have a master's degree, 
that may work out for you or it might not change anything at all. And then you're just two years older uh, with and and just even further behind in, in your career path. Um, so grad school is is a is a good idea um, if you know what you want to do with a graduate degree. Exactly. Yeah, I think it's a good example of that in particular of where you can receive a lot of advice and it's really down to you to decide and assess whether that advice is right for you because it may be right for somebody else um, but may not be for you at that particular point in time. Yeah, one of my friends, um, she got a degree in computer science from Stanford and then got a master's in computer science in Stanford and so when she was out looking for a job, she basically had her pick because uh, of of her degrees and where she went to school and she got a job at a startup. And uh, she tells me later, yeah, they, they really just need a web app. They like all of her machine learning knowledge and everything wasn't actually directly applicable. Uh, you know, having her degrees did get her foot in the door as, as one of the founding engineers for this startup. But at the same time, really, they, they just needed Ruby on Rails or, or something like that. Yeah. That's often the case, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? <laughs> I sometimes worry that I, I might not. Um, one, one of the great things about learning to program just way back in the, in the old days uh, of the 1990s, was that I feel like the expectations were so much lower back then. Um, you could be a single programmer on your own. And, you know, if you were a teenager and you made Tetris, that would be a really great accomplishment or even some text adventure game. But but now when you when you talk about software development, uh, you know, everybody is is familiar with the Internet and is using social media all the time. It's it's part of their lives. Um you know, it's not just nerds hanging out in chat rooms anymore. And so when people think of software development, they're thinking of AI and self-driving cars and uh, social media websites with millions of users. And that's incredibly intimidating, I feel. And uh, I, I've noticed I've written books for, for kids and for adults. And I feel like teaching kids to program is much easier because even though it's it's more difficult for them to grasp and and learn all the concepts, they don't have this fear that programming is is something that they're not smart enough for. Uh, whereas a lot of adults sort of immediately disqualify themselves. Um, so if I had to start all over again, <laughs> I sometimes worry that I that I might not. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Um, and our what career objectives are you currently focused on? Oh, man. Uh, it'd be, I have a whole list of projects uh, that, I, that I work on right now. I'm, when I, I, I left my job as a software engineer to finish writing Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, uh, I just wanted to take a year off to finish writing that book. And I thought I would just get another software engineering job after that. But then I started writing another book and then another book after that. And now it's... Uh, as long as I can keep this book writing scam going, it's it's great. I don't have to get a real job again. Um, but uh, yeah, so right now I'm also working on a book that focuses on recursion and recursive algorithms. This is another topic that I feel like a lot of people are intimidated by or, or yeah. think is, is beyond them. Um, 
I think the words yeah. in themselves will scare people. Oh yeah, yeah. It's it's recursion is is sort of one of those topics. And for those who don't know, it, put very simply, a recursive function is a function that calls itself. And there's nothing too spectacularly special that you, you can always write a non-recursive function to do whatever a recursive function does. Um, but if if you want to show off how smart you are, you can always <laughs> write a, a recursive function to do something. Um, your coworkers will probably have a harder time understanding your code. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so so I wanted to, to uh, write an entire book about this and, and go over several different recursive uh, algorithms and and sort of also bring up the fact that you don't always have to use uh, a recursive uh, algorithm in order to, to do something uh, spectacular. But they are often used, I think, more than anything in programming interviews. Um, I've encountered the zinger myself where the interviewer for the, for the technical interview is asking me to write some code. And then they ask me to write the recursive algorithm of this. And it's, it's from a practicality standpoint, there's no real reason to, to require that, but it's, it's something that can, that, and if you're not familiar with recursion or if it's something that intimidates you, it can really trip you up in an interview context, uh, whether or not you actually ever use recursive functions in your day-to-day -day job at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yes. Okay, and what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? Oh, being able to, I mean, communication seems like the, the really uh, standard answer to this, but communication skills really is it. It's whether you're um, writing emails or replying to emails or if you're giving a presentation during a meeting, uh, being able to not only uh, express yourself well and convey the uh, the ideas that you have, but also how to listen to other people and and understand what they're trying to, to communicate to you as well. Um, I, I keep bringing up uh, this with with other programmers over and over again. You know, it doesn't really matter how fancy your your code is or how elegant your algorithms or or whatever. Uh, doesn't all of that stuff doesn't really matter if you end up writing software that nobody needs because you didn't realize what people actually wanted out of this out of this software that you're writing for them. So yeah, communication, just both listening skills and and talking. And just being able to also empathize with the other person's current position and understand the difficulties they're facing, because that's how you find out how you can address the uh, the problems that they have and, and solve them. Indeed. Yeah, there's a lot in there. And you're right, definitely. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Oh, I, I definitely try to keep in touch with other members of the Python community. Uh, most of that right now these days is, of course, just through Twitter. But uh, back in the before times, um, PyCon was an excellent conference to go to. Yes. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, even if even if people are, are just sort of beginning their path, it's, it's a great place to just meet really friendly people. And the Python community is is really excellent. I PyCon was one of the first technical conferences that I ever went to and I had such a great time I thought, oh, I should start going to other conferences and and that's how I found out that a lot of other technical conferences are mostly sort of uh, vendors wanting to sell you things and and that sort of thing, but 
uh, PyCon being a, a more community focused conference is a great way, uh, not just to learn new things about the Python language, but also just to, to meet and network with, with really great people. I tell people, you know, you don't have to see every single talk. You can just skip some and, and just continue chatting in the hallway with people if, if you're having a really great conversation. Um, and PyCon is really excellent for that. That's great to hear. And what do you do in your spare time away from technology? I'm sorry, I don't understand the question. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I so uh, just writing software and then writing books about software. All of this are all of these things are are things that I started first as hobbies and then turned into a career. Yeah. Um, but I also like to do. I, I've gotten started with some digital illustration as well. Um, just uh, with a Wacom tablet and making some drawings and and working with Photoshop more, and then the the non technical hobbies I have uh, currently uh, I'm getting more and more into origami as well. Um, a friend of mine had pointed out though that the one thing that all of these have in common is that they're really cheap hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I have a computer and free software and paper, and that's that's uh, keeping me entertained. Brilliant. Okay. Um, Al, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? Uh, so the, the main thing when I'm teaching people to program is that a lot of times, uh, I, I think the, the reason I've been able to reach so many people and teach them to code is that I kind of understand that the main difficulty with learning to program isn't the programming itself so much as just the intimidation uh, that comes with it. Uh, people are really afraid of failure. Uh, they're afraid of, of feeling dumb or looking dumb. And, you know, a, a programming language, a computer is, is always going to make you feel dumb all the time. It's just going to spit some error message out at you whenever you do something that's the slightest bit wrong. And I feel like, you know, this, this might not sound very hopeful, but uh, my best advice is to just sort of get used to it. Uh, get used to feeling not clever and not smart because it's going to happen more and more. But also, you know, feeling that way is fine because we all go through that. I I don't think I really know uh, that many people who don't have imposter syn uh, syndrome in this industry. It's, it's such a wide industry and you can pick any topic in tech, uh, in IT, and spend years and years uh, trying to understand it and never sort of reach the bottom of that ocean. So, yeah, it's... Uh, don't be, you know, it's okay to feel that intimidation, but don't let it discourage you or or keep you from accomplishing what it is you want to accomplish. Indeed. I think it's quite useful then to remember that you may look at somebody like yourself, who is very, very well versed in, in Python, but there was a point when you didn't know anything. Um, and the person who's now picking up one of your books or your course is going to be in exactly the same position that you were before you did. So if you're able to go through those processes and steps to learn what you've learned to get to where you are, there's no reason why somebody else can't do exactly the same. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Al, can you maybe tell us where we can find out more about you and connect with you? So my main website is inventwithpython.com. Um, I also have a, a very plain looking webpage at alswigert.com 
as well that has direct links to uh, my GitHub repos and my YouTube channel and my Twitter account and and the books that I've written as well. So between those two websites, you can find out nearly uh, all about me. Probably the easiest way to get in touch with me is either through my Twitter account, I'm just at Al Swigert, or through email um, with al at inventwithpython.com. Al, it's been great chatting with you. Um, really wonderful. And thanks for taking part. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This has been great. So it's my great thanks to Al Swiger for being the guest on this week's episode. If you head across to the IT Career Energizer website, you'll find an episode-specific page, including various links to Al's social media, website, YouTube channel, and access to his free book, Automate the Boring Stuff with Python. The show will be back in a week's time with another great guest, and I hope you join me then. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.